And welcome back to the Book and Life podcast. Today, you are with your host, Crystal Fleming, also known as Crystal McCarrington. And today, we have a vivacious, an outstanding writer who is going to blow our minds when it comes to magic, fantasy, and all things. Oh. So, before we jump in with her, I have, you know the routine. I got an advert here from Marianne Curley for her Time Guardian book series, and this is for book four, The Shadow. The battle is over, the war is won, the prophecy complete, but life can't just pick up where it left off for Ethan. Struggling to cope with tragic loss at odds with the friends and the guard, he finds himself adrift, jumping at shadows and sensing someone who can't possibly be there. Blaming herself for the goddess Lathena's death, Giselle swears revenge, to fullify the immortal's plan for world domination, but Giselle hadn't planned on love. And that leaves her with an unbearable choice. Should she follow her heart or the strings of a goddess short on praise but high on expectation, who continues to pull her from the grave? As the guard and the order battle through the past and into the impossible future, darkness lurks around every corner. The fight for the world's survival rest was just one. Is it friend or foe who stands in the shadow? And just a reminder that The Price of Freedom by Rosemary Rowan is uh, having most of her royalties donated to the Ukraine refugee crisis and her, her agent has donated her commission to that as well. So please, everyone, if you have a couple of pounds, please go over to your local bookstore or onto your local... Um, book buying platform and pick up The Price of Freedom by Rosemary Rowan to help support the crisis in Ukraine and that is one of her Roman British crime series novels. Now my favorite part when I get to talk books and magic and everything juicy. I love juice. Let's welcome in Francesca May. I'm just glad I said Thank that. Thank you so right. much for having me. Yeah, you did, yes. <laughs> I'm terrible. I, I've, I've had authors that have come on and I thought I was going to say their name right and I practiced a hundred times and then my accent means that I totally butcher it and it's like, oh no. It's, it's American no, names. Fine. Every American name I get screwed. So I don't know why. But I saw your your book can't remember where it was now but somebody turned me over to you and said hey have you seen this and I went no what's this about and they were like no seriously you've got to see this book coming out and I'm like oh okay yeah sure and uh I looked you up and I loved the fact you grew up in the middle of England because <laughs> yeah. Brit power here you know yeah Brit power. <laughs> and then it was like she kills houseplants like me so like even more connection power here and then I tried so love hard gothic mansions, you know witchcraft and queer love and that was just me I was like sold sold all people. of those things sold <laughs> yep but it, I mean Brit power British people write the best stuff that's what I say oh completely you know? agree completely agree <laughs> Because, like, I keep saying, like I was saying this yesterday, British people, we go for originality. We don't try and think of ways to, like, take a book and just 
rewrite it in our own sort of viewpoint. We love our originality and we really kind of respect that. And that's jumped into us by our English teachers. But also, not only that, we've got eye for detail. We are very good at just researching our stuff. So it feels kind of legit. You know, when you're reading it, it feels realistic. It feels like it could happen. And nobody could turn around and say, well, you didn't research this. You know, like, <laughs> I feel like we come in with that kind of perspective on things. And I love that. So you got to tell me about this book because everyone's telling me it's going to be the book of the year. So do you want to fill us in a little bit on this Wild and Wicked Things? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Wild and Wicked Things is a, a sapphic reimagining of The Great Gatsby, uh, but with witches. So you've got the 1920s setting. You have a main character who is summoned to a mysterious island off the coast of England during a magical prohibition. Uh, and what she finds there is a very rich next door neighbor who is known for throwing these very large, very rambunctious parties. And um, her neighbor is also rumored to be a witch. And Annie finds herself pulled into this world of blood bargains and dark magic um, in the sort of very heady 1920s post-World War setting. I love that. And I just, just to be honest with you, I adore the cover. Yes. Like, oh my goodness. There's a lot of books at the moment. Yeah. There's like so many books at the moment that come out and the covers just suck. Uh, but the book is really good. And then you look at the cover and you're like, really? <laughs> like, mm, who is in charge of this idea? Like, mm. all, all have the but best I love it because I, I look at yours and it's, yeah, I, I, yours looks like a book I would expect to be coming out of, like, fairy loot. It is that mm. level of... It is beautiful. Lisa, the who designed the covers, here. is just amazing, honestly. She's so good. And, like, a lot of the Orbit covers are just beautiful. So I remember saying, you know, if, if it was black and gold, I would die happy. And if um, it was witchy and jazz agey I would die happy and it is all of those things in one <laughs> yeah and I mean it's so great when they actually like take in what you think and like you know put it put yeah, in what absolutely. you feel the book is into it yeah there's there's a lot of publishers that, that just don't do that and I think it's kind of criminal to the poor poor authors that like we're the ones that sit for like what a year <laughs> sometimes nine months with this thing yeah, and we're like crying it. and fighting with it and giving it's like giving birth let's 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 I've, let's be fair i've it's had like different experiences sometimes they sometimes you know publishers will give you a lot of input and sometimes they won't and you know guaranteed like a lot of the time they know better because they're designers and we're not but equally it's so nice when yeah. they listen to elements that we really you want on the cover I remember Orbit asked me for a um like a Pinterest board um with kind of elements yeah. and themes that I wanted on the cover so that was that was really really nice and to see what popped up it was just was amazing yeah I loved that like I I had a cover artist um she was amazing like what she was able to do for me I I would go back to her 100% over and over again um, and I sometimes still do actually, if I decide to re read, release a book or whatever, 
But she would like, because my book had wrestlers in it, but I didn't want it to be off-putting to the romance industry. So I had her make it pink with like the wrestlers and the girl and just (laughs) adding all those elements. And people were like, we really left the cover, but we have no idea what the book is about. And I'm like, (laughs) kind of the point. I want you to pick it up and not know this is a sports romance, you know? Um, And it's great. Yeah. And I love meeting other people that kind of like to twist themes and go with like slightly different kind of ideas um because i i i kind of rivaled to get well i i rebelled against the marvel world and i actually kind of did a story with norse gods and mythology in it real mythology not the stuff that marvel spits out but stuff that i grew up with and i listened to (laughs) and it was like a a myth that we were kind of there was this idea that was implanted in us as kids that we didn't, um, some of us didn't go out trick or treating because A, it was seen as begging and B, you know, it was the night that the, the Norse gods could be free and could walk, walk the world. And my mother was kind of convinced that this was, uh, this was a good way of keeping me from going around houses. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So I, I know I like it when people rebel, like against the sort of, bigger kind of ideas and companies and I think that's I just love your idea I can't wait cannot wait to review it (laughs) it will definitely be on my TBR my husband is starting to look at my TBR pile and think uh Crystal if that book (laughs) pile leans any further and it falls over we're gonna get murdered in the middle of the night but what by your library (laughs) yeah exactly I said to him like we're starting a family this year and I was like He's like, well, what do you want to leave the kids? And I'm like, I'm leaving my kids, you know, my library. The books. Like, obviously. This is a labor of love. You know, like, he's like, Crystal, you're over a thousand books. I don't care. Every so book in that stack. Yeah, so far. He does not know that there's like <laughs> at least. 30 books coming from different publishers because it's been great since I started the podcast like people are sending me stuff that I would never otherwise try and I'm like doing all these interviews with different people and I like as I say to you I'm recording sometimes twice a day or three times a day and it's funny because he's gonna literally see that pile keep growing because these these publishers are gonna send these books so that I interview people and yeah, so I reckon by the time like my kids eighteen, twenty, I will probably be about five thousand books in. Love it. That's Possibly. a good number of books. That's, in fact, I kind of hope I have a house big enough for it by then. So <laughs> yeah, like I because I was saying to Ian, I'm like the size of the house is really important, not because of uh, our family or anything. It's because you know the books. The books. I need places to put the books. <laughs> Yeah, and he laughs at me. He's like, "Seriously, Crystal, I don't know. I don't need to ask you what to buy you for Christmas. It's simple, bookcase, just every time books, um, book vouchers. Yeah, that's what I said to him. I'm like, easiest person to buy for. Just I say to him though, if you're gonna buy me a book, let me send you a list. (laughs) Yeah, just because if you otherwise." Yeah, if you don't have the list, you always go buy me a duplicate of what I already have. So I'm like, please let me just send you like my to buy list, you know? And he's like, I 
because even my like all my in-laws tease me about it my parents tease me about it but i think that's a pretty damn good thing to leave people like a legacy of books my kids could like they might love reading they might not but at least they're getting something that you know maybe they can auction off and sell one day like i have a lot of same copies of things books are full of memories aren't they so yeah yeah, and I just me, I've got enough, like, I've got, like, a children's section as well. I've got sections, right? Yeah, me so too. Very young children's, like, with fairy tales and children's books. And then I've got, like, the next one up, which is what I call teen, preteen, so Harry Potter and those kind of books. And then I got, like, teen YA, then adult, and then, like, there's the crime and stuff like that. But um, my husband actually donated his books recently to charity that I bought him for Christmas over the years. And it was so sad. But I can't, like, say anything because they're his. So I'm, like, sitting on my hands, trying really hard not to say or do anything. And I'm, like, no. <laughs> but at least so I know sad. because they're donated charity. They'll at least get read by somebody else, you know? Yeah, um, that's true. But I buy him books and he'll either, yeah, he'll either read them or he'll, like, go, no, I'm not interested. And then they just sit in a pile because I bought him the brand new hardback J. Kristoff book, you know, the vampire one? Oh, yeah, the Empire Vampire, yeah. Yeah, the the one that looks like, you know, if you hit somebody with it, you can probably do them <laughs> in. Yeah, definite brain damage. And like, he, yeah, and, like, he read 10 pages. I don't even think it was more than 10 pages. And he's like, I don't get this, and I'm pretty bored. And I'm like, how can you be bored as J. Kristoff, for goodness sake? <laughs> so I'll probably end up reading it. It'll probably become my book in my stack. Um, It'll be on your TV I'm letting you donate that. It's like a hardback. It's a really good hardback version. Like, dude, seriously. So do you have that trouble too? Do you have like the the woes of being a reader writer? <laughs> well, yes, I'm also a bookseller, so it's like triply bad. I think. <laughs> I think I I had something like. Uh, six or seven hundred books before I started book selling um a large portion of which I've not read and uh, that was seven years ago and I have not counted my books since because um I am embarrassed to know the number so we just don't count them um and I had to move all of my books out of my study recently because we're renovating it and my mom said to me do you want a hand and I was like no it's fine I'm a bookseller I move books all day it's you know it's it's my job I know what I'm doing and then like nine hours later of moving these books I was thinking to myself maybe I overshot like maybe I have more books than I realized <laughs> so yeah definitely I've got oh, so, so many books that. on the go I was um I got a job in Shetland as a relief support worker so I was staying in Hamilton in Scotland and my husband was like okay I'll pack up the house you go to Shetland start your job it'll be fine and then I get a phone call two days later. He had like a month. Like we only had, no, it was like two weeks or something until he came up. And I got a call two days later and he's like, I hate you. <laughs> it's like, okay, why? And he's like, the spare room from floor to ceiling <laughs> is boxes. And 90% of that boxes is your books. He says, I don't think your dad's hired a van big enough. <laughs> I was like, ooh, dear. Not good. I dread I dread the day. So, I yeah, he, um, he FaceTimed me, and it was like, 
Yeah, the whole room. Floor is England. <laughs> he could not even get in the door. Oops. I felt so bad. But it has because like I hadn't realized over the years because I'd yeah, like I'd stashed it under the bed. I think that's a favorite for us bookers, is we stash books <laughs> under the bed. And I had them built up around the book, like the bedside table. Uh, and that was stacked in importance to reading. Yeah. Right? And then I had the bookcases, which was in the hall, the living room, and the three in the spare room. Those were pinned. And then he found my secret stash in the bathroom. Because <laughs> you'd have to have a book in the bath. Right. So I had a cabinet under the sink and I would just grab a book from there if I forgot one. So I always had like books. And yeah, so now he kind of looks, I've got this like hexagon book one, uh, bookshelf Mm. and he's looking at it and it's pretty full. Well, almost full (laughs) actually. And he's like, have you got books hidden elsewhere in the house, Crystal? I'm like, yeah. He's uh-huh. like, I don't want to know. He says, when we move your books and all them up. And I'm like, damn it. Damn it. <laughs> oh, well. The worst I also got moving. two cats. So, yeah. yeah. Worst part of moving. And I do have to move soon because, uh, as I said, we're trying for a baby. And our spare room is more like a, like, we have two bedrooms, a flat. And our second room is more like a closet than it is a bedroom. I don't really think. Yeah. Like, we can get a blow-up bed in there, like a queen blow-up bed, but you can't, like, walk down either side of it. It just, like, <laughs> wall-to-wall. So, like, Ian's like, there's no way we're getting a crib and all that crap in here. It's just not going to work, so we're going to have to move. Um, So, yeah, I find it I find it slightly, slightly funny. Alarming. But, but that, that, <laughs> like, I swear I'll probably hide books under my, my, kid, like my kid's crib or something. <laughs> It'll be just, like, books holding up the crib. There'll be books everywhere. Everywhere. Good stabilizer, though. Very true. Very true. As long as you get ones that are the right same height. Yeah. But I love the fact that you're a bookseller because for me, like, if I couldn't write and be like a stay at home writer and actually like write all the time, I wanted to either work in a library, which I think is every reader's dream, or I wanted to work in a bookshop. Um, the bookshop said they wouldn't hire an author because it would be a distraction. So Aww. I didn't I didn't get hired by my local bookstore. That's but, crazy. Most uh, of I nearly them... got I nearly got the, the job as a as a library, so Oh amazing. See most of the booksellers I know, like I would say a good portion of them are writers. Like a lot of them are. And there's a running joke because I work with Waterstones and there's a there's a running joke that um like there are the Waterstones to writing pipeline because there are so many so many booksellers that go on to become authors so yeah and it's crazy because I look on it um in a way because I did these huge tour like I did a huge tour with Waterstones and Austin Macaulay Publishing and I felt so bad bad for the booksellers because my books for these signings were turning up three minutes before the signing. Like, three minutes, right? And they had given them no marketing stuff. They had given them no, like, banners, no marketing stuff to put up, no posters, nothing. And then 
and I would come and I would like have to be like a car salesman. I would have to stand in the shop after signing all the books and then try and sort of sell them. <laughs> try and sell them to people. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I was lucky. I managed to sell out every shop I was in because I did Durham, I did Livingston, um, Sterling, Carlisle. There's another place in England I did. Um, so coming to me right now. Durham's my favorite because I sold out within an hour. I did twelve copies Amazing. in an hour. That's very um, good. Yeah. So like, but I I never I've not had a mainstream contract since then. I actually had to leave Austin Macaulay because I found out. Well, one they didn't pay my my fuel bill to go around the show shops. Two, they forgot to pay the visa for Joe to come over. So I was having to apologize to all these fans and readers that did show up for them. And then, like, three, they were not willing to put out the second book, despite the fact that whenever we did book tours and signings, we sold out everywhere we went. So, I mean, I managed to sell out in L.A., which is the hardest place to sell. Like, they had bought six copies, and I sold six copies. I sold copies in america because they were there like in new york it was new york all wrestling fans are in new york uh at least it feels like that and they just <laughs> like as soon as they found out there's like these copies of the book they were gone so yeah it was a bit sad that they wouldn't uh continue the series and we could never really kind of get on that but i always said if i get a mainstream uh contract again i'll definitely do every waterstones that would have me um, Absolutely. And the weird thing was, I did it all myself too. I phoned up all the booksellers and was like, "Hey, do you want me to stop by, do reading or signing or whatever you want?" Um, and I think they were slightly taken aback by that, to be honest. Like, like oh, it's funny because yeah, it's definitely sure, like not. moved that way. I think it's it's really common now for that, like for authors to get in touch as as you know, as often as publicists do. Um, I know I for one, like just if I'm out and about and I know that they've got copies of my book, I'll just stop by and be like, Hey, can I sign them? And the book sellers are always really lovely. It's it's really nice. I was in London um in May and I popped in and signed some yeah. books that they had on the table, which was really nice. I love that and like um I I hated the way that like Austin was literally they turned to me and they said oh because you signed all the books um we couldn't return like they couldn't return them and I was like but you never told me not to sign them all yeah yeah and then I was just like well if the publish like if the store didn't want me to sign them all they should have just told me that like yeah that was like the only thing I didn't like so I like if I did sign a copy I was always like trying to make sure that there was going to be somebody to buy it after that but mm. um I love doing more stone tours it's my favorite because I like talk to the bookseller like I'll get a cup of coffee and I'll go there early and I'll be like hey do you want to just sit down for five minutes and we'll just like talk books um so yeah and it's weird because I actually managed to do that with Debbie Hartness I turned her signing in Glasgow into a lot of fun she said because, like, she thought she was just going to get the typical answers. Like, you know, the typical questions about the series from her readers. And then I stand up and I have these writing questions. And then she just, like, clicks. Ah, there's a writer. <laughs> and then her her assistant went and Googled me, saw what my name, like, figured out that I was, like, the writer of Carla. And then 
she kind of like slipped a little bit of the info to Dabra. We ended up talking about Carla um, at the signing table. And it was so sad because I never managed to get Carla into Waterstones. But that was like my dream was to get Carla into Waterstones. And uh, she asked, she was like, damn, she's like, I would totally, I totally love to sit at a table with you and uh, talk fantasy all night. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I could do that. Amazing. I've actually been invited (laughs) to a few tables now. Uh, round tables now for that so um, I love it but yeah you should check out uh, we just released Sarah um, Humphreys was on and she is a New York bestseller Uh, she does adult fantasy and she actually stepped away and she's also a manager um, working for a care home sort of like community care home area but she's still she's getting back into writing because she's got more time now but um yeah so she's doing that and her books like you've got so many different elements it's like an onion the more you read it the more you discover more and I love love those kinds of books so Mm. oh no that's my first recommendation of the show and we're only talking (laughs) about oh I apologize now you may end up with like 40 odd recommendations by the time the show's over <laughs> but it was good to have somebody else on who loves kelly clark kelly armstrong Woo-hoo! i love her because so like much. i've just read bitten stolen i'm about to start uh dime 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 story magic. magic yeah 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 the her third one so yeah i'm getting into like I, I love them yeah, and I've just I've just discovered them, so I'm feeling a little bit behind on this whole tour. But because I kind of made a mistake, I saw Waking Up the Witch, and I read that one first, and then realized that wasn't the first one in a series. That was like yeah, twelfth or ninth or something, and I was like, oh no, no way. So I literally read and the then third found one the first. I think. I think that the, the oh, third one had just come well? out in paperback. Yeah, the third one had just come out in paperback. So Dime Store Magic had just come out in paperback. And um, I was with my mum in Waterstones, actually. And um, she picked it up and was like, oh, this sounds amazing. And I, I remember I read it. And it was it worked out quite well because that was the first page book. Um, and then I went back and read the first um, Eleanor ones. And I just, I was obs- like, every year, the highlight of my year for, like, 10 years basically was the release of the new Kelly Armstrong um, Women of the Other World books. <laughs> I know, like, I'm, I'm just like, I'm just starting it and I'm really looking forward to it. But I've just read her first one in the Omen series. Have you mm. tried Omens yet? I have, yeah. Do you agree that one was good? It was very good. I think I have a soft spot for the Women of the Other World because I started there, but I've read a lot yeah. of Kelly Armstrong's books like I would say nearly all of them maybe um because she's yeah. like for many many years she was just an auto buy author for me um yeah yeah I, I just I love them but I do love I mean I've got a very very big soft spot for the werewolves in um in that series you know like Eleanor and Clay and Jeremy um they're are still some of my favorite characters and because I love witchy books the Paige and Lucas you know characters yeah. are are my favorites as well so um I always gravitate back towards towards those books so that makes me curious did you so 
This is this is going to start a debate. I know this question is going to start a debate. But what did you think of sort of the one done by Maggie Steifner? She did like um, oh the Raven. She did a tr- she did a trilogy. Yeah, like the author her, but she did the werewolf books. I'm trying to remember the title now. Mm, I, haven't, um, I haven't read them. She did a trilogy. Oh, you haven't? No, I haven't. I oh. own them, um, but I haven't read them yet. <laughs> I read the first one, and I adored it. And now I'm in the second one, and it's a little bit slower. Shiver, that's the one I was thinking of. Mm, it was yeah, yeah. Shiver, Linger, Forever, and Sinner. So I actually forgot there was four. Huh. Okay, I feel a little bit out of whack, but never mind. Um, so yeah, like I was a little bit nervous because everyone told me, oh my God, they're not as good as Twilight. They're not as good as like Bitten and all this stuff. And I was like, no, I'm going to try it. Like, because I'm not one of these people that if you tell me something's bad and it's like a majority, you know, telling me it's bad, I still have to go read it myself because yeah. I need to know for myself that it's bad. Um, but I actually really enjoyed it and I'm like glad that I didn't listen. Like I struggled a little bit with the Raven Boys um, getting into it, but then when I got into it, it was fine because I find it a little bit confusing at parts, but mm. I genuinely really loved it. So yeah, I think like you should definitely try them because the, I think everybody oversold how bad they were. And I think actually, I would really the enjoy them. Are really, really good. Yeah, yeah I think like, I'll like I like them. Yeah. Um, so have you actually tried Rachel Kane? Did you come across her in your travels? I did. I read some Rachel you Kane when did. I was younger. Yeah. Yeah. She's, uh, she was my go-to by author. I met her in Glasgow. And she Amazing. actually encouraged me to uh to actually become an author she surely pushed me to do it um and I felt so honored to have known her while she was with us um but yeah like her vampire series was amazing I loved how she used physics I mean how many like honestly like how many novels can we say that are fantasy based that we know uses physics yeah they're almost like science fantasy aren't they yeah yeah, and I just was like, oh, I adored this. And then I did the silly thing, and I didn't read her blurbs because I oh, no. go to my author, and I got caught out with her crime series, of course. <laughs> um, but I love that. And uh, what do you think of the library series that she's done? Yeah, I've only read one, and I really enjoyed it. So I have, I have more. I don't know how many I've, oh. Oh, wait. I've got. Oh, wait, yeah. wait, honey, till you touch the second one. i was like i gotta breathe here it's like (laughs) really intense but i loved it um so i I, like keep telling everybody like gotta do it but i must admit i'm i hate reading the end of series so like i have the last um throwing a glass one and i've been terrible because I just can't bring myself to read the it's last one. So I'm like, good. I don't want I, it to end. I think I cried through about two thirds of that book just because I didn't want it to end. Yeah. 
I know. But then I, I keep like telling myself she's riding the court of thorn and roses. It's fine. It's fine. But yeah, I was like, because the other one that I, I found that that I fell in love with this was this is our go to by author for me is, um, imagine me. The author for Imagine Me. Yeah. I've I can't pronounce her name, so I'm going to let you do it. <laughs> Sorry, Muffy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, her series, the idea of, like, the way she did that first one where it's all in a cell, a prison cell, mm-hmm. just... I thought it was so incredibly done. Like, I was actually, like, surprised I didn't get bored of it. Like, or anybody to get bored of it. I was just, like, the way she did it was just incredible. And, like, her use of flashbacks, too. I thought Mm -hmm. it was, like, really smart the way she did it. Um, So, yeah, she's she's now on my list for go-to buys. But I really need to limit my go-to buys because my... (laughs) I've kind of got quite a few now. That's the problem, yeah. It's awful, but... (laughs) I think you're going to be a go-to buy. And I was like, Ian, the girl I'm interviewed today, I'm like, she's going to be a new go-to buy. And he's like, no. <laughs> I'm like, if you like, sorry, if you can't like slow, <laughs> If you like slow burn books, then yes, I think so. I do like a slow burn. Like, really, like a creepy gothic type, you know, when they take time. I love those books, up. yeah. Like I read um, Playing Bad Heroines by Emily Downfall. I don't know if you read that one. But that was phenomenal, yep. and that's a really good slow burn. I love that one. I see, like that's the thing. Like I really do like slow burns because I read Young Elites, and that's really fast. Mm. I don't know if you've you've done that with Mary Lou, but I've that's not. a really fast. No. Oh, it's good because it it reminded me a little bit of like a witch gone dementedly mad because she's almost like a psychopath which who's sort of been driven there by magic and mm. it's not really her fault that she's doing the things she's doing but she can't control herself and it's so fast that whole book and it was so much more gory than I like thought it was going to be but it wasn't like to the point where it put me off it was to the point where I was like okay I'm really into this but this is a little scary at the same time. Like, it was too fast for me. I think I would have liked it a little bit slower pace. Slow down. Um, yeah, I like books that, that kind yeah. of go there. Like, with the horror elements. I love, like, kind of horror fantasy and things like that. I think my books kind of stray a little bit into the horror territory. Yeah. But I like taking the time to let scenes breathe. Um, and I like reading books yeah, like that Yeah, well. especially. Well, that's that's what I did with Carla. I let the scenes breathe, and then when it needed to pick up speed, I let it pick up speed, but then I cooled it mm. off a little bit so that you could appreciate each sort of step that she took. Um, because she goes from, like, her journey is so funny because she's, like, a reader who then ends up in a fantasy world. So she's gone from being a booktuber reviewer to then, oh, my God, I suddenly kind of in this immortal fantasy world my heart's broken because you know my first love has broken my heart and has caused me to end up in this position and now I don't know like you know who's after me who's not and then now my best friend's back with me but she has so much she can lose and I think that the dread of what is she going to lose kind of keeps everybody going through it 
Yeah, um, that's a good so like everyone says the mines is a very slow, slow burn, but if you stick with it, I think it, I, I have a lot of people that tells me it's worth it, but again, it's like slow. So I have to ask, cause like we have like a lot of kind of ideas in common. What was your feelings or your thoughts on the Outlander books? So, you know what? Oh, this is going to embarrass me. I've not read them. Um, but my best friend waxes hysterical about yeah. them. She loves them so much. And me and her have very, very similar tastes. So I actually think I would really enjoy them. Um, the yeah. only thing that ever puts me off long books is that usually I'm on deadline now and I am, you know, writing and I'm book yes. selling and I'm probably reading books for like friends as well to blurb books and, and you know, reading blurbs, uh, reading to blurb for people that I've never met and things like that. So that's the only thing that puts me off yeah. reading long books is that I don't have a whole lot of time to dedicate to them. But the actual principle of the idea yeah. and the fact that they are long makes me very happy because I think I like as a young reader I would go into the library and like literally pick the longest books I could find so there's still yeah some of that in me I think <laughs> yeah and it's weird because like I just took the leap um I think it was last week and I sent the Orchid Guild to some of the most uh best-selling YA children's writers in the world and now I'm breaking it a little bit because it's that moment of like these are my idols. Like Marianne Curley's reading the Orchid Guild right now, and then Celia Reese is reading the Orchid Guild right now. And a friend of mine, she reads kind of more like she's more sort of historical. You know, she's a historical bestseller, and I'm like. I gave it to her and, and I have one other person I'm going to send it to and I am just like breaking it to see what people think like because it got rejected so much and I was like I couldn't really decide if it was my dyslexia that was causing it or like I'm just trying to find the right person for it and the right agent for it and I'm like so I sent it to the two of the biggest names and I'm like guys can you tell me what you think of this and then maybe give me like an idea of where I need to go with it because I'm honestly because I walked away um two years ago from writing because I just lost utter faith in the industry for a while I had had really bad experiences with um an agent who was signing my name to contracts that I didn't know anything about so I had like a bad agent and then I had a bad several bad publishing experiences so I I decided right I'm done I'm walking away and uh so I'm kind of getting back into it but from like scratch so yeah it's been uh it's a journey like people like people don't realize like even if you've been an author for years if you step away for even like six months and you're trying to come back it's like a totally different world because you're constantly learning as an author everything um so I changes doesn't it yeah, and you're constantly, like, the market changes and you have to research everything all over again and find your place and your voice and everything. Um, but it was so funny because I wrote Orchid Guild through the last year because I had sepsis. I got sepsis in my jaw joints and I had to get my jaw joints replaced. Um, but I had, like, okay. six months where they were out and I couldn't eat. So I was constantly editing and rewriting this book. And then I got, I saved up the money that I had and I bought her, I got the freelance writer and I got her to edit it. And then I was like, okay, I, I went th- and then I read it through ICU 
an HDU because I had nothing else to do. I had three weeks where I literally didn't sleep because it was that heat wave of last year. And my hospital didn't have air conditioning because people don't realize British hospitals don't have air conditioning. So I was melting. So yeah, for three weeks, I just read this book and I just, I was, I fell in love with the characters all over again because it's like Celtic mythology meets Redding, California. This tiny town in California, just this, you know, living the sunny, happy life, all of a sudden gets invaded by Celtic mythology and creatures so we've got selkies and we've got vampires and werewolves and witches and angels and this girl's just like losing her mind because all this stuff started happening and she has no clue what's happening to her and then I use diary entries kind of to give a little bit more of her insights into her mind and stuff so it's kind of fun I like it but yeah breaking it a little bit so was that like how it was for you when you kind of like set your book out where you kind of almost like, you know? it's Yeah, it's always scary whenever you send a new book out, whether it's to someone that you've sent it before, you know, sending my, my agent a book is always scary. Um, sending my friends a book is always scary. But I think it's, it's mm-hmm. worth it because it creates a mental space as well between you and the book. Like, even if I'm not expecting feedback, even if I'm just kind of sending it away, there is a period of time where that book is like not on my desk. It's not in my head or, it, you know, it's not like at the forefront of my yeah. mind. So it gives me, I think, the time to create like a mental distance and like, it, I don't know, enables you to just see it with fresh eyes again. Um, I am a great believer in the whole putting a book away, putting it in a yep. <laughs> in a box if you can and not looking at it for a while yep. because it definitely I do that a lot yeah yeah it, it it makes the world of a difference even just having say like two weeks break but it being completely like off your off your desk um is so much better than than if you were constantly working on it um so yeah it's exactly it's <laughs> so when when you sort of what was the inspiration for you to write this particular book? Was there something that clicked in your head and said, I've got to write this? Or was it just a case of, you know, it just sort of slowly came to you and you ended up plotting it out and ended up realizing, oh, I've got a book here? No, it, it was very instantaneous. Um, there was a conversation on Twitter a few years ago where people were talking about if you could have written any classic which classic would you pick and why and I definitely spent way too much time thinking about this because I was a bit like well okay so if if I wrote a classic it obviously wouldn't be the same classic because it'd be me writing it and I'm very different than a lot of classic authors in the fact that you know a I'm not a man (laughs) and b I'm queer which probably makes a big difference too and I came to rest on the fact that the book that impacted me most and that changed kind of the course of my life was The Great Gatsby um I read it when I was Mm -hmm. doing my A-levels um the first time I read it I hated it and our teacher was like okay but read it again and just slower like read it slower and I did yeah and once we started talking about the themes and kind of you know the idea of it being a coming of age story but it's also a book about morality it's a book about mortality I really like the themes of Gatsby as well as obviously like the aesthetic of like the 1920s and the glitz and the glamour and all that jazz um 
and I start to realize that like okay if I wrote The Great Gatsby what would that look like and I was like well a it would have to be gender bent because I primarily write female casts and if I'm going to make it gender bent well it's going to be sapphic as well so that was the first step and then I was thinking to myself well if it's going to be set in the 1920s and there's glitz and the glamour there is a very dark undercurrent to The Great Gatsby that I think a lot of people forget about. They focus on the big parties and, yeah. the, you know, the alcohol and, and the music and they don't really think about the fact that there is literal murder in this book. Like, it is very dark. A lot of these people yep. have got money. It by... is, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's so bad. And, um, and so I was thinking, well, it's going to be a book about morally great people. That is a given. But why are they morally great and what causes that? And I was thinking, well... <laughs> As my as my teenage charmed obsessed self, and you know I'm still super into all my witches and stuff. What would it be like if I wrote a book that mm-hmm. was basically The Great Gatsby, but with witches? And if the witchcraft is the reason why they question their morality, and I think that's a really fun thing to play with, and I thoroughly enjoyed writing it because it. It was a way of me kind of questioning. It allows my characters to question whether they are good people um, by virtue of who they are themselves, but also how they interact with their magic. Um, And it was just, it was a really fun challenge. And then while I was drafting it, it was kind of like this, I, I was completely obsessed. It was head over heels situation where I started writing this book for fun. It was never meant to be anything other than a fun project, but I was just, totally consumed by it and I couldn't think about anything else and a colleague of mine passed away during this period and so it also became a way for me to yeah channel kind of grief and like it was the first time that I experienced loss like as an adult and although we weren't super close friends we were friends and we started at Waterstones at the same time and you know, it was a very strange kind of grieving process. And so I channeled all of that into the writing as well. And so it also became similar to Gatsby, I guess, a book about mortality and like the nature of death. And it just, it became so much bigger than it was to start with. Like it started off as a fun little joke on Twitter and it just became this project that I was totally consumed by. Uh, And even after I finished writing it, I, I couldn't stop thinking about it and I needed to do something with it. And I said to my agent, you know, what do you think? Do you think we can? Do you think we can sell this? And my agent doesn't really represent fantasy very much, so we weren't really sure like the best market for it or where to submit it. Um, but it all ended up working out yeah. in the end, and it was it was you know great. So yeah, that was the, the long winded answer, but yeah, it was just it was a book that became very much a passion project um and I'm still obsessed with it now I I, when I when I decided I wanted to get it published I was like realistically what I want is I'd love it to reach readers and I'd love it to matter to them but my main goal was to get it so that I had a copy of it on my shelf so that I could read it again if I wanted to yeah yeah and it was weird because I had an author on yesterday who said the whole reason she started writing was so that she could look at her bookshelf when she was older and she'd have a bookshelf of stories she would want to read because yeah. the stories she wanted to read didn't exist. Absolutely. You, I agreed with that. Yeah, I agreed with that. And I was going to ask you the same question. Like, do you feel as an author that sometimes we can't find the stories that we want to read? So we almost feel like we need to go write it ourselves. And that's why yeah, absolutely. we do what we do. 
Yeah, I think the thing is as well. So I've got it. I love I love books that are that are allow characters to be messy. I really like those sorts of books, and yeah. particularly books with queer characters that are allowed to be messy. They're not necessarily nice people because people aren't always nice all the time. And I think no. that a lot of witchy books as well. There's a there's a history of them being either their historical kind of Salem witch trials era. Or they of are course, contemporary yeah. and they're quite fluffy, a little bit like Sabrina the Teenage Witch vibes. And I wanted something that was very much like in the middle. You know, it has that dark element to it, um, but it's yeah. not necessarily as historical as Salem. Of course, yeah. No, I get that. And I think um, if you've seen the new Sabrina version, the Netflix one? The, the, yeah, The Chilling Adventures, yeah. Yeah, like, I liked it because it felt great, but then I I also was kind of torn because I was like, but I am a fan of the original Sabrina. I know the person that wrote that originally. And uh, I kind of was just like, oh, but... Yeah, and then I was just like, I kind of was like, because I know... um, Barney Cohen quite well and I was just like oh no Barney your stuff's getting re you know vamped and then I watched it and it was totally nothing like what he had written and it was kind of a little bit I don't want to say a relief but I was kind of like his at least his stuff wasn't getting revamped and changed so it was like his stuff was being immortalized but in a different way so I kind of ended up liking it because it was different and I like when I see different witches stuff because not all witches were you know killed in witch trials you know there there was more to witch life and stuff than uh you know we are ever kind of let on so I always like to think on you know "Mm, I wonder what what witches might have done at this time or what witches might do at this point and that kind of thing. So yeah, it's, it's kind of weird, but um, I like to find different witch perspectives and I love the fact that yours is that. So I noticed like, and I know that a lot of readers are going to notice this too, because it's on your website, but what made you change genres from what you were doing before to doing fantasy now? So it wasn't so much a change in direction as like a, I wanted two parallel streams. I have always liked writing crime. I will continue to write crime for as long as I'm able to. Um, I read crime a lot as a teenager. <coughs> Excuse me. And I used to read a lot of like... Same, yeah. Um, Agatha Christie, I started off there. Patricia Cormwell, I was obsessed with Patricia Cormwell for a few years. And... But I was always writing fantasy as well. So it just seemed like a natural thing for me to do both. Yeah. yeah. I'd say I mean, it's really cool answers. Like, because sometimes things will just take you in a slightly different direction that makes you change genre. Like, I know myself, like, I don't stick to one genre. I might be known as a sports romance author, but I've written crime. I've written all different kinds of things. I've just never released them. And I think, yeah. you know... We as writers, we do like to change things up a bit and just to we like, like to do a bit of everything, see don't what we, we yeah. can do and almost the whole yeah. time. I think that's a good thing about us. We like we like a bit of taste, you know, a bit yes. of different different stuff going on. 
absolutely. And I'm, I, I must admit, I realize that I am slightly biased. I will more likely read a crime novel if it's written by somebody from Britain than I do if it's an American. And I don't know what that, why that is. Um, That's really interesting. But yeah, so I probably will be adding your books to my pile, which ah, husband will not be they, happy uh, about. <laughs> they're very British as well. Like, um, I think my fantasy sits very much more on that cusp where... I use a lot of American influences and I, because I yeah. have a lot of American readers as well. And I, I studied American literature, right? Like I lived in America for a yeah. year. I consider myself um, spiritually, like I, I feel homesickness sometimes for where I lived in North Carolina. So I do, I love American oh, wow. culture yeah. and yeah, you know, it, it's that kind of hybrid culture, which I, I do like to feed into my fantasy, but my crime books. Yeah. They are very British. They are set usually, um, well, the first two are set in the middle of England. They're set local to me. They're set in Derbyshire. But actually, funnily enough, my, set, my, my yeah. next two, so the one that just came out in February, The Lighthouse, and the one that's coming out next year, are both set in Scotland. So oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so that, they're kind that could of be interesting. homegrown. Um, the, the Lighthouse is set in like a, it's a remote island um off the coast uh where there is a lighthouse funnily enough because in the title um which a group of friends go and stay at um so yeah i just i yep. love anything that's like uh very good at evoking mm. atmosphere and i think that british landscape is amazing for that i think it's such a beautiful yes beautiful country and a beautiful island and you know it's like when when i set books in derbyshire derbyshire is so lush and so green and so verdant and like I've not really been anywhere else like that. Like it's just, it, it's so beautiful and atmospheric and, and yeah, it, it definitely was a, was a factor in kind of wanting to do different things with different types of books, but everything is all about atmosphere always. It has to be because I think that's either makes it or breaks it, I think. Um, and I don't think like a lot of people necessarily realize that that's, what we as writers need to kind of consider when we're doing um, novels and when we're working on things that it really is about having that connection and creating those elements so that we can have a really awesome experience and, you know, a really good rounded experience in a world that we've created. Um, Highly recommend if you're ever doing a writer's retreat, to go up to the Shetland Islands during the summer, so May to September, because the the fact it doesn't get dark at night, the sun never sets, yes. and the northern lights are everywhere, and the you know the, you're steeped in history, and everybody that that sort of has a belief in magic, and I can kind of back this up. You feel like a magic in the air from the minute you step onto the island. And you just feel steeped into it, like you're stepping into a bath of magical powers. That sounds amazing. Uh, so highly recommend a trip. Um, it is a bit pricey, but but great. Um, Worth it. <laughs> and I like to. I I am Scottish, but I spent some time in LA, and I really really miss it. I really miss America, but I miss the sunshine. I don't miss the constant yeah. rain. Um, yes. And awful weather. <laughs> Um, and it's so funny you say North Carolina because I know Matt and Jeff Hardy from North Carolina. If you've stayed there, you'll know who they are. Yeah. Um, they're the Hardy Boys. 
and I also know Shane Helms, who was the famous wrestler Hurricane Helms. So, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of a throwback. So it made me smile. I was like, oh, wonder I wonder if Shane met her. Hmm. That's amazing. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I sometimes text him, um, and he's like, you know, hi. Um, <laughs> so a little bit of fun fact there. But let's start books. As okay. uh, readers, we all love this this subject. Um, so what is the book you've read most recently that stuck with you the most? So the book I keep coming back to and I cannot stop thinking about is um, it's out in, I think, October. It's out at the end of the year anyway. Um, and it's House of Hunger by Alexis Henderson. And it is basically a sapphic retelling of The Blood, Blood Countess. Um it's just amazing so she's the author of um year of the witching which i loved if you love witchy historical fiction then you know i'm that about is definitely to try it so yeah so good sorry enjoyed it but house of hunger was phenomenal i i finished it and i don't think i stopped thinking about it for about four days where i was just uh. turning it over in my mind constantly there was just because it kind of is very much it's horror and it's fantasy and it sits on that cusp and I think it's officially coded to horror but it, it's just so fantastical and yeah yeah no, I know I thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed it it was brilliant yeah you've you've got me itching now to read the hour of the witching <laughs> which with my DVR kind of you know I'm like Mur. who who do you wish that if you had infinite time and you could just sit and you could read and you can enjoy one what series would you pick two what author would you pick and why so it's a toughie that is a tough one. Hmm. I think series, I'm going to go with the Diana Gabaldon's Alan series because there's so many books and there's so many pages. Oh, okay. And, you know, I've been putting them off because they're yep. so long. So if I had a lot of time, definitely, definitely, I would go, I would go with those. Uh, that one is is a good series I must admit I read the first book and the second book I would say there's trigger warnings with it Uh, just be aware but overall it's really really good Um, the characters and the detail for the settings is is amazing as well Uh, so you've got you've picked a really good one for that (laughs) what about authors oh I have so many books on my TBR and I know it would be cheating, but I would just like to read them all. I just, everything that is currently on my TBR. And that is cheating. You have to pick one. Um, you got to pick one. One okay, author. So, so is this one author that I haven't read any books by or want to read them? Or is it a book, an author that I have read before and want to read all of it? That you want to read. Yeah. Like you haven't had the chance to sit and read them yet. It so is. It's tough. I, I'm holding you to this one. Yeah, I know. It's very hard. I think probably an author that I haven't read um, very many books. I think I've literally only read like half of a book. So I think this counts. Uh, and that would be Anne Rice. Um, because I have I started reading um, Witching Hour and didn't finish it because it's yeah. quite a chunky one. 
Um, yeah, I've it really is. Read yeah, Interview with the Vampire either. Like, I can't believe I've not read Interview with the Vampire, but I haven't. So you have to, girl. You have. I to. know. <laughs> so definitely, Anne Rice is on my list of of authors that I have not fully experienced and want to. Okay, that was, I, I'll, I'll let you away with that one. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> um, what author do you wish that you could, if you had a chance to sit and have a cuppa with or a meal with and just talk to them? Like, just, you know, talk to them about anything you want. Who would it be and why? So I don't think he would like me very much but I would definitely like to have had a conversation and possibly some drinks with um, Scott Fitzgerald because, <laughs> because I'm okay. like, you know, I've, I've written a reimagining of Gatsby and yeah, maybe he's rolling in his grave, but mm-hmm. his writing style was so beautiful, like the language that he used. And I would like to talk to him and see if, if you kind of see that, when you talk to him, like whether or not it shines through, whether it, you know, the the, the majesty of his prose is visible, or mm-hmm. if it is something that he laboured over, because I know that he would spend a lot of time working on his writing. So, like, I, I can't imagine that it would have just like flown out like that. But I just think it would be really interesting to talk to somebody whose prose I know is amazing and who, um, whose writing style I really admire, and just to see. Yeah, I think I think he would be very. Uh... Actually, I think he'd probably be very honoured that people have loved his work for so long and that there's so many different spins that people have put on it. I think he would actually be more admirable about that. And I think... I think so. Yeah, I think he would probably really appreciate it. Yeah. I think also, I I think it would would impress him to know that Gatsby, because when he was alive, Gatsby was his worst-selling book. You know, his career basically, like tanked so it started off with his first book that did really well and then progressively each of his books did less and less well and I just think like to tell him that Gatsby is the book that people always go back to and and that has changed culture like that's that, that I think he would be very bemused probably by that I think he would be amused, but I think he was. I think he would appreciate the love that people have shown him and that they continue to show him. And I think the films would probably tickle his sense of humor a good deal <laughs> yeah, as well. I, think so. <laughs> I wonder what he would what he would think of that now. Um, yeah, is there an learning. author, past and yeah, past and present, who's influenced, inspired, and made you excited about a reading and b writing? Kelly Armstrong for me so I read those books when I was 13 14 it was a very pivotal age I was already writing but not with the same fervor and the same obsession and then when I discovered her books and discovered that you can write books that are fun but also that speak to people I think that was a really important moment for me and so yeah and then you know I, I still go back to them as being favorite books so I like that. Yeah. What time would you visit if you could go back in time? And would you go back as a writer? I would love, I would love to go back to the 1920s. I know this is a big cop out, but I think that particularly I'd like to go to America in the 20s. I think I would like to experience what that was like, um, whether or not, yeah. like, because obviously it's a time of very 
diverse ideals and and you've got this kind of mm-hmm. you've still got the kind of straight lace situation happening but then you've got this kind of new up-and-coming rebellion happening in people and yeah I think that would be really fun but if I was going to go back as a writer for sure um I would want to be included in all these fancy salons that they did you know with the Fitzgerald and the Hemingway and I don't think they'd like me for sure but I would like to have been part of that (laughs) you never know you never know they might have been more appreciative than you think writers were more (laughs) open-minded apparently is there ever been a book that you have picked up and wished, like, thought to yourself, what was I thinking? Why did I pick this up? And what was it that made you n- not grateful to have picked it up? You know, my instinctive response would be no, because, um, you know, all books are important in terms of what, how, how they develop us as writers and readers. But <laughs> there is one. <laughs> there is one that I come back to yep. I absolutely like in some ways I am glad I read it and so you know it's not a hundred percent like I probably wouldn't go back and erase the memory of it if I could but there was a book that I had to read for one of my classes and it's called An American Tragedy by Theodore Dreiser and this book's quite long it's like 700 pages long the first 600 pages I quite enjoyed right like it's a book about a man who basically he does the unthinkable he basically gets a girl pregnant and then kills her um it's it's awful awful okay i do like books you know it's hideous but i do like books about morally gray characters and he is morally gray like as gray as they come um but the last hundred pages of that book ruined it because this is a massive spoiler i don't think i was going to read it though um but basically the last hundred pages sum up the entire book that you've read but through the court through the idea of like a, a court case so you're basically just rehashing oh. all of these plot points that you have been present for and listening to him like no throughout the whole story. thing yeah and i'm just sat there yep. like mate i've just spent 600 pages reading this i don't need to hear it again this is so annoying yeah it, it just ruins it kind of idea but i like i kind of see where he's going with it because he's trying to give the closure of the court case and and the closure of of action but. being taken so but no, I'm with you on that. I would, I would probably uh, throw the book across the room and be like, "I'm so done with you." I was so angry, and I remember going to my professor and saying, "Why did you make us read this in a class called the Great American Novel?" And he said, "Well, you need to read some bad Great American novels before you read some good ones." <laughs> so, yeah, so you can like, yeah, so you can actually like appreciate. Yeah, yeah no, exactly. I get that. <laughs> And so I do, I think that's a, a very valid point, actually, is sometimes you have to read books that you don't like in order to understand what you do like. Um, but yeah, yep. I wouldn't, I wouldn't reread it. Let's put it that way. It's the only book I've ever rated one star on Goodreads. <laughs> exactly. So now we're going to enter into the next part of the podcast, which is the writing pod- part of the podcast, where we discuss what it is about us as writers like little snippets of our lives as writers that we wouldn't necessarily share so the first question is how did you go about creating the darker elements in your storylines honestly I think this for me is very instinctive and it's very intuitive um that that element of it anyway because I really do like books about the darker side of human nature. I think it's one of the things that drives me to write crime. And it's also one of the things that I like about fantasy is that you can get darker. And 
so for me it's all about creating an atmosphere um and so i do things like you know listen to atmospheric music and creating pinterest boards um in order to develop the picture in my mind of what it is that i'm i'm going to be looking at but it's also about just exploring characters to almost their limits really figuring out at what point they stop being good people because i think that a lot of people would have a limit yeah. at which they you know would start making negative choices and knowing what that limit is for those yeah. characters and for some of them you know the limit is is very small actually and for some of them it's a lot greater um and also looking at like the impact that it has on their lives going forward so you know if one character makes one bad decision how much does that then impact them going forward and it's just about kind of exploring that and the way that I would do that is I would often sit and write um I call them like character flashes or um they're almost like flashbacks but you know written in a, in a narrative form and they yeah. they might never actually appear in the book but I then know the, the trigger points for the characters I'll write you know like important moments in their life or things like what's the worst thing that's ever happened to them up until this point kind of thing yeah no, I, I like that. It's it's really good for me in particular. I have to do a whole creative music thing and really sort of lock myself into a darker kind of frame of mind, uh, whether it's watching something dark before I go right or, or something along that line to kind of create it for me. So I like the way you've put it. What inspired you to pick the type of genre for your writing that you did? It's the kind of genre that I like to read, and I... I think that in recent years there hasn't been as much dark fantasy and not necessarily dark romance, yeah. just like fantasy with almost horror elements. And I really like reading that because I'm kind of a horror fan and I also like yeah. books that do look at the darker side of human nature. So like I said before, it's the reason I, I like reading crime as well. Um, so yeah, it's it's just kind of wanting to see myself represented in the kind of narratives that I've always wanted yeah. to read. Yeah. No, I, I, I like that. And I think uh, we all need to add something to to um, to our world almost. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I like that. I, I kind of, I very much appreciate that in a way. Um, so I guess the next one is it's going to be a little bit more interesting. Um, but when you write your novels and you're putting them together, because I know for crime and fantasy, it might be a bit different. But is it like a movie for you or is it like a jigsaw puzzle that you're trying to like put the pieces together? Yeah, I would say it, it, it's less movie. It's more jigsaw. Um, I think it probably sits somewhere in the middle where every scene is about asking a question and I do visualize the scenes quite cinematically when I'm writing them but every scene leads to the next so I'm, yeah. I'm quite uh, an intuitive writer like I used to not plot books um, I still prefer not to plot them ahead of time I would much rather sit down and just let characters right. interact in what seems like a natural way for them given the way that I built them and then kind of go from there so it it is very much, I suppose, more on the jigsaw element, but it's almost like a like an interactive jigsaw. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I get that. Um, 
I love that kind of idea on it. Uh, but for me, like, I can never get by the movie kind of section, even when I am doing my crime versions, um, because it, I seem to get kind of, like, stuck there. And yeah. uh, if I do it as a, as a, yeah, I get really stuck if I don't plot it out and I know exactly where I'm going, unfortunately. So do you, like, do you have a dream for your novels in the future, like, what do you dream the most in regards to success, in regards to where you want your novel to go? Do you, do you have something along that lines that you, you kind of envision for it? Um, honestly, for me, it's about longevity and it's about building a career. So I just want to be able yeah. to keep writing. That is my primary motivator and I want to be able to keep writing in a way where I can like actually afford to, you know, live. Um, <laughs> so whether or not, like, I, I would yeah, love of course. to write full time, for example, um, but it's more about the fact that it's just, I want to be able to keep writing stories that I want to write and I want them to reach readers because then it feels less like creating in a vacuum. So um, in terms of physical goals, I would really like to have more hardback releases because yeah. I think that they're beautiful and I love hardback books um, and having the hardback for one with things so do I. glorious. I really do. Yeah. So I loved, I love that. So that would be nice. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So what would be the dream that you would love to achieve in the next five years? What would be the biggest goal that you would love to, to achieve? So Wild and Little Things hit the Sunday Times bestseller list and like I know it probably seems a little bit greedy but I would really love to do that again with another book um because I yeah feel of like course it, it you know it indicates that there is a desire for these kinds of stories I think particularly with sapphic stories it's really nice to show that there is yeah. a market for them and that people want to read them um I also really just would yeah. like readers to really connect with my books so you know it would be really nice mm -hmm. if people on social media would be very very supportive of, of you know books in the future I think it's just kind of that's where I would like to end up with it is that I'll have like a like a, a fan base uh, of readers who will also buy my books that would be that'd be great well, I certainly think you can add me to your uh, your fan base, and I can uh, I can see me checking out a lot of your stuff in the future. That's for sure. Um, you. You've definitely <laughs> made a, a fan out of me, but then I Yay. might just be biased. You never know. <laughs> um, I say this, and then I'm gonna like one day I'll send you my book, and you'll be like, mm, no. "Don't tell her I don't <laughs> like it." <laughs> Um, actually, I'm very good about that kind of stuff. Because not everything's for everybody. What no, techniques have you found helpful and which ones do you wish that you hadn't tried? <laughs> um, so in some ways, this is the same, the same answer. Um, and this is plotting ahead of time in that it is helpful in terms of uh, yeah. plot structure. And... Um, I would mm -hmm. say it's helpful in terms of building like a cohesive first draft, but also part of me kind of wishes yeah. I'd never had to do it and never had to try it because I love the experience of, course. of messily drafting a book and like not knowing where it's going and 
not having a preconceived notion in my head of where I need to end up. Like on the one hand, it's nice to be able to write by numbers, which is like the way that my brain says that this is what plotting is. But on the other hand, like I just want to be able yeah. to stick man and <laughs> and see what happens with them. So and pants it, yeah, to just see what happens. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I I get that. I I can't. I couldn't do it. So I would have utter utter respect for you on that account. <laughs> Now moving into your life, which is the kind of the gossipy side for the for the listeners and the <laughs> readers, what is the first thing you do you want to do or you do um when you're trying to distract you know de-stress from editing and writing? So I have two options and it usually depends what time of day it is. <laughs> my very boring okay. is my first instinct is always to sleep. Like, if my brain is, like, yeah. overwhelmed and I need a break, I am the world's biggest napper. Like, I think I maybe should have been a cat. In oh, I love that, too. <laughs> so I do. See, if I could nap sleep. more often, I would. Oh, you're a girl I after my own heart. so regularly. And, like, so I, I've had a long COVID, right? Um, and so I've, I've experienced more fatigue since I had COVID last year. But I've always been a napper. Yeah. So it's just, like, an extreme, <laughs> it's like extreme napping now. Or it could just be an excuse to nap, I suppose. <laughs> this is a good excuse. And my second option, um, my, I guess, maybe slightly more interesting option, but not really, is I really love walking. Um, I used to go uh-huh. out with my dad all the time. We would go, we'd find places um, in Derbyshire, particularly because it's local to West Ball, so it's beautiful, yeah. and just go and get out of the house because I am terrible for like languishing in my bed you know <laughs> so, so the other option is to drag my butt out of my bed and go for a walk and it often does shake things loose like if I'm stuck on a problem um usually I'll just rant at whoever I'm walking yeah. with whether it's my dad or whether it's somebody else and I'll be like here's some plots that I need help with and they never even have to say anything they just listen to me and I'm like I'm somebody that does the same I yeah I'm with you on that because if I didn't have Ian, I'd never leave the house. So, yeah. (laughs) What hobbies do you enjoy and which ones do you wish that you could explore more if you had the time? In terms of hobbies I enjoy, um, I I have a few hobbies I come back to. I I don't really watch a lot of TV um, and I'm not really a big crafter. I do like to play games on my Nintendo Switch. but I tend to get through fallow periods with that, where, like, you know, for six months I'll be obsessed with the yeah. game and then I won't touch it for ages. Um, but also, it kind of feeds into my other hobby, which is my pets. Because I have a lot of pets. I have I have two dogs at the moment, oh, soon to be three. Okay. Um, so I'll probably have three by the time um, this wow. has, um because we lost one back in February and um, we've been sort of deciding whether or not oh, to get another no. one. And we, I know, it was really sad. Um, yeah she she'd been um quite quite disabled for some time and so we knew it was going to happen but when we lost her it was a bit of a shock and so we're on the road to sort of getting ready for another another dog um we have newfoundland so they are huge they are um very much like labor intensive dogs uh and i also have three cats yeah of course Um, (laughs) so i have two how did they get on with the cats you know what they they get on really well um the dogs do have a tendency sometimes to chase the cats but it's very playful it's not aggressive and um the cats just run away and 
you know, it's it's kind of a fun game for both of them, I think. Um, the cat's less so, I think, but they, <laughs> they do yeah. seem to enjoy it. And the rest of the time, when they're not chasing each other, um, they're completely chill. They'll come and lie. Like, the main coons, particularly, will come and lie on the floor next to the dogs, like dogs. It's very weird. It's just like having very big dogs yeah. and very small dogs. <laughs> they're not like normal cats. <laughs> well, weird. I've got two cats, and I, um, I was going to... I have two beautiful cats. I have I have one that was a, a stray that had gotten abandoned by its mother and ended up in a car engine. Oh, and goodness. we got him when he was a few weeks old and he imprinted on Bob, which is our three-year-old, or he was three at the time, three-year-old cat, uh, who has never forgiven me for <laughs> Stefano. Because the first uh, morning that he spent all night with Stefano, we opened the bedroom door and poor Bob was standing and Stefano was hinging off the end of his tail and Stefano <laughs> had both paws around the tail plus his jaws on the tail and he was flying about as Bob was trying to like get rid of him off the get end of his off. tail. <laughs> and it was the look he gave me as if to say, how dare you do this to me? I will never you? forgive you. And how could you? Yeah, I get that look every morning when I come through. And I, I was going to get um, a St. Bernard's pup. I was going to save up and get a St. Bernard's pup. And Ian's like, no. He's like, could you imagine a St. Bernard's with these two cats? Honestly, they tear the house apart as is. Could you imagine having that St. Bernard's this? <laughs> Um, so yeah, I was always curious about how the dogs got on with no, the, uh, they get on, the cats. They get on fine. You know, it's it's amazing. I think it's probably because we've always had multiples. So for a long time, yeah, they they just kind of copy each other. So when we get the new puppies, the new puppy will see the two older dogs with the cats and be like, oh, okay, these guys are chill. They're fun. You know, it's quite whatever. Um, yeah. yeah. And the kittens, when we had them, we, we got the, so the two main coons are a brother or sister duo. Um, and we only went for one, and we came home with two. Um, that was a yeah. that was a great mistake. Um, I love them to pieces; they're amazing. And our older cat Jet was a stray um, who was found by one of our builders um, years and years ago when we were having some other bits of our house renovated. Um, so we got her when she was only a few weeks old. Um, and she's a bit a bit strange. She's she's definitely a bit feral. Um, but she very much loved our yeah. older cat at the time, who was very chill around the dog. So it's it's just like a generational thing. They all just seem to muddle along and get along with each other fine. Um, but because yeah, they learn so from each pets, other. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because of having so many pets, they take up a lot of a lot of my time, like in a, in a great way. You know, um, when we lost our our middle dog Zena, um, the younger dog Juno was very upset because she'd grown up with her and they were very very close they had a very good relationship um and so I spent uh, many many hours in the garden with Juno trying to cheer her up like playing games with her and like inventing new things to keep her occupied just to kind of stop her grieving really or stop her grieving so badly um yeah so yeah because yeah. of that you know this brings you back to the second question you asked which is which obviously you wish you had more time for and I really love swimming and I would love to go swimming more often but I'm usually like, oh, well, there's a vet trip or I need to be grooming the cats or I need to do this or I need to do that. So yep. it's usually some reason. Yeah, no, that I, I know that. I know the feeling. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know it's going to be worse when I when I have my baby um, mm -hmm. because we're trying for a baby this year. And I'm I'm just thinking to myself, oh, my God, like, how am I going to do a podcast, write novels, keep the house, <laughs> 
you know, like, this is going to be pretty, pretty hard going here. Thank God I've got in-laws that live 15 minutes up the road and I can hand off, off the babies too. Um, yes. But we've also got the little nervousness because I carry the gene for quads. Mm. So I'm high risk of quads thanks to having idiopathic rheumatoid arthritis has increased my fertility. So Ian kind of is said, I think he spends every night praying and hoping <laughs> that there won't be quads. <laughs> I think I do that a little bit myself, but I would be happy if I, no matter what I got, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think quads would probably be like be the end of my entire longer. life. <laughs> Yeah, like that's an entire family, and I know I I know I want a lot of kids, but I don't want to have a litter in my go. first go round, yeah. you know. Um, so yeah, I think that could be interesting, but yeah, cause especially since he's like no more than two, no more than two, you know, no more. Uh, yeah, but I I think they'd be adorable, so I don't think I don't think I'd care for long, but yeah, I don't think I'd be writing for the first five years of nothing else no probably not <laughs> so um I guess the next question is kind of like being kicked out of the water here but I'll ask it anyway um do you like crafts and is it something that you <laughs> use to flush your creative part of your mind and help you reset so I used to be really crafty when I was a teenager I used to spend a lot of time doing art projects particularly I was really into painting um I've dabbled yeah. in quite a lot of crafts like I'm very much like I'll pick one up and then I'll kind of put it down again because it takes it's they're very time intensive and I would want to be good at them and yeah they do so I'm not very yeah. good at yeah I'm not very good at dabbling so I I learned to knit um briefly I crocheted for a bit um yeah. I would like to do um oh, there's just so many things I would like to do I'd, I'd like to learn musical instruments particularly um just any yeah. hobby across the board I'm like I have probably thought about this and considered it like I bought a ukulele mm -hmm. at one point did I learn to play the ukulele no I did not I own a ukulele oh. that has been there for ages but in terms of crafting I would like to um I would like to learn to sew actually I'm not I've never done that and I would like to just funny you to, like, say that that's that's my go-to is cross stitch is it see my um one of my friends yeah. is super into cross stitch and I, I love I love the things that she makes and I just think it's so cool um but yeah, yeah I just I don't have the patience I think is the issue I would rather be probably doing three things with the with the concentration that it would probably take me to learn a new craft so yeah but then I'll never say never yeah. because no no I get it because I'll like yeah, I mean, and for me, like, I'll cross-stitch and I'll play League of Legends and sometimes I'll be listening to a podcast all at the same time. Yeah. So I can understand the brain power of needing to do more than, like, one thing at a time. And I think that's where I'm really lucky because my nan was, uh, she was a professional knitter and she knitted from when she was eight and then she sort of taught me how to sew um, and my cousin to knit. And it was just something we got passed down onto us. And um, yeah, like I I lost it for a long period of time. But now like since COVID and everything, I've gone back to it. And I have like knitting. 
I get like the stamped packs. So like I've all these different knitting, like sewing and stuff all over the house, like packs of things that I'll do. And, and it's good because like I don't get to read in peace and hospital. So I might take in the sewing kit and my laptop so I can write, I can watch mm. stuff and I can sew. And it's, you know, it's really good. Um, and I, I just, I like that. And it gives me that kind of way to just get out of my own head, especially in hospital, because yeah. you know what it's like. It's just, you yeah, don't yeah. get any peace or privacy. So, um, yeah, that's my, that's my go, my go-to stuff. So I myself have idiopathic rheumatoid arthritis that makes me slow down and appreciate the day. What makes uh, you slow down and smell the roses? I think I'm quite a, an introspective person anyway. I'm quite, I am quite a sort of slow moving person. I think I was just born that way. I think it's been more so since I got um, long COVID because the fatigue makes me slow down even more. Yeah. Um, but I've always, yeah. I don't know, I've, I've always had an appreciation for slow days, particularly just enjoying like the moment. Um, I think for me, my yeah. favourite my favorite thing to do growing up would be when you go on holiday and you go in a pool, you know, or the sea and you're in a body of water and you just yeah. have that moment of like feeling at peace and feeling that moment of like quiet. And so I always try and like yeah. em- emulate that, I guess, in, in other parts of my life. I'm not necessarily always very good at it, yeah. but I definitely, and, and the other thing as well um, is, is for many years. So last year, the week I had COVID, actually, I lost my my cat, uh, my childhood cat, and he was. Oh, no. And it was the worst week of my life. I swear to God, um, he was seventeen and a half. Yeah, he was, he was elderly, and he had, you know, a lot of health problems in the last couple of years of his life. But he was the most like needy, cuddly cat of any animal I've ever met in my whole life. He was amazing, and I always had a rule with yeah. him, which is a rule that I have for all of my pets, but especially for him, which was if he wanted a cuddle didn't matter what I was doing unless stopping what I was doing was life-threatening or if I was you know doing something very very important I would stop what I was doing and give him a cuddle but he really liked to cuddle so I spent a lot yeah. of time just with a cat in my arms and you know what it's like if, you, if you're holding a cat and you can't get to your phone yep. and you're not near a computer there's not really a whole lot you can do you just have to sit there and enjoy it and so I got yeah. very good at like being in that moment with him on my lap just relaxing and enjoying it and um I don't get it so much now because my, my main coons are a little bit more uh energetic at the moment because they're still very young but I think yep. it's definitely something that oh that give it a year or two give it a year I'm, or two. I'm hopeful yep. I'm very hopeful I'm, <laughs> I've got a I've got a six-year-old um well I think he's about six now who's currently sitting staring at me as if to say hey mama uh, don't forget about me. Lunch is due soon. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I know exactly what you're you're meaning. He's uh, blinking at me and everything. So yeah, <laughs> no, I get that. So where's your favorite place during the day to curl up? Is it your garden, conservatory, reader's nook? Where do you like to go? I am I'm one of those people where I like to sit in different places or be in different places depending on my mood and like what I'm reading so if we're talking specifically for reading Mm -hmm. 
Um, I am a big fan of if it's sunny outside, I'll go and sit in the garden. Um, we've got a fountain in the garden, which is lovely. And it's, you know, it's, it's got that kind of like very peaceful element. But yeah. I do like to have the ability to move around. We've got a garden room, um, which my mum decorated beautifully. And I like to go and sit in there sometimes as well. But I'm I'm very much like, I fancy going and sitting in the park today. Or I fancy taking a book to the pub. Or I fancy this, I fancy that. And then I'll go through phases where actually I don't want to leave like my house. <laughs> I just want to be at home. Oh, I know that feeling. Yeah, no, I've 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 been there. I've and I've done that quite a lot. But since COVID, because I'm high risk, I mm-hmm. have spent more and more time at home because it's it's either been yeah. going, you know, being at home writing and stuff, or it's been at the hospital getting treatment. So I kind of feel like a weird ping pong ball going back and forth. But um, even though technically now the high risk list's been deleted. I I am still told to act like I'm high risk. So I haven't gotten to that stage where they've said, yeah, you can chill. Um, So for me, like, I have to just sort of break up my day and move my computer around a little bit so that I can feel as if I'm moving, but I'm not really moving. And it's kind of, yeah. So I I get get where you're coming from in that that regard. Yeah, definitely. So now into the word game. Hey. This will be fun. Honestly, I promise. So uh, either you can have a word association or a book. So you never know what people are going to say with this. Um, So we're just going to go for it and see what happens and have some fun with this. First word is trees. Uh, For the Wolf by Hannah Witten. Oh, okay. Okay, I like that. What about flowers? The first thing that comes to mind would be the short story Rappuccini's Daughter um, by Nathaniel Hawthorne. I always think about that. Oh, okay. Okay. You've got this down. How about grass? <laughs> um, <laughs> grass, I think... I've just, I've just reread Wideacre by Philippa Gregory, so I'm going to go with Wideacre. Okay, I like that. Pink sky. This one is hard, but I think <laughs> I'm thinking. Um, I've just read um, Family of Liars by E. Lockhart, and it's really funny because the the Waterstones version has got a pink sprayed edge. So like, it's like the summer sky and then the pink edge. <laughs> oh, I like that. Yeah, go with that one. I like. I'm gonna go with that one. <laughs> yeah, white. Fluffy clouds. Oh, I know. Uh, Midnight and Everwood, which I read last year, which is a retelling of Nutcracker. Ah. So good. Okay. Yeah, I like that. Last one. Sunset. I think this is the hardest now, one. This one. But... <laughs> do, you want, do you want me to give you like a little, I'll give you one. I'll give you an option. I yeah, when I option. wrote down sunset, I thought of Interview with a Vampire by oh, Anne Rice because they yeah. always used to look out for the sunset, and yeah. I don't know why that stuck out in my mind. But yeah, like I always remember that even the, in the movie they have them watching, you know, the sunset to the sunset. Uh, so they know when they can come out. Yeah, I don't know why. It's just just a weird kind of 
thing that popped up in my head. I don't know why. The the first thing that came into my head when we were when I was listening to you just then was um was a book that I was reading at sunset and having that really vivid memory, um, which uh-huh. would have been Wicked by Gregory Maguire. Yeah, go for that. I'm gonna go for that I've one. Heard one of mine anyway, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so did you figure out your? Did you figure out the theme I gave you? Because I I, I, mean... I get a theme every time I I do a writer I get a theme, and yours was sort of like an an English evening in the garden as the sun is setting. <laughs> so that was so your theme when I when I was putting your word thing together. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I've thank loved you so it. much for having I mean, me. We've done an hour and a half. I've loved it, and it's been a quick hour and a half. I must admit. Um, but can we have you back? Will you come back when you've got a new book? Yeah, absolutely. I I should have something out hopefully next year. I'm not sure when yet, but then that's perfect. Year. We'll have to have you back next year because uh, I've definitely enjoyed having you on. Definitely enjoyed talking to you. Um, so yeah, thank you for joining us. Now next week, guys, we've got an actual scientist writer coming on the show. So I'm going out of my comfort zone with this one. So we should be, you know, you should be interested to see how it goes. And it's a great one for November because I think science is super important in your exam time. So make sure you stop by to check that out. And it's been a pleasure, Francis. And I hope to uh, have have you back again soon. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me.